And what I want to share with you tonight is the confidence that you and I can have towards life is not based on anything within ourselves, but it's based, first of all, on who God is and what God has done. Now, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and you might be uh, wondering, well, where did you get the idea of, of confidence out of this? And if you notice three times in Romans 5, 1 through 11, there's the word rejoice. Or some of your, uh, some of your versions will have exult. Uh, some of them might even have glory. And I want to tell you about this word because it's so cool. The word rejoice in the Hebrew grows out of the word glory. So you could actually translate this in verse 2 when Paul says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He says, we glory in hope of the glory of God. The word glory in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is also translated boast. Now, now think about that. The thing you glory in, the thing and, and what you glory in is, is what you find yourself sense of identity in. And if, uh, if a guy has a, a 67 Boss Mustang 428 with 600 horsepower, you might say he glories in that car, right? Because what happens? He gets in that car, he's driving, a blah, 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 you know, the exhaust is going, and he's driving down the street, and man, he feels like something. Why? Because he is glorying in that car, and as long as he's in that car, he has confidence. Now, write down Psalm 20, verse 7. We don't have time to, to look it up, but uh, Psalm 27 says, Some may boast in chariots, or some may boast in horses, and some may boast in chariots, but we will boast in the name of our God. In other words, when push comes to shove and I'm going through a difficult time, what is it that I'm going to find for my source of confidence? Well, some kings will say, hey, I've got 900 chariots and, and 1,500 horses, and I've got, I've got horsemen and chariots, and that's where my confidence is. David says, that's not where my confidence is. He says, some kings may boast in horses and chariots, I'm going to boast in the name of our God. And you know what's amazing? All through the Old Testament, if you track the victories and defeats of the children of Israel, it never had to do with the size of the armies. Do you know that? Do you remember Gideon? He was against an army of 10,000 guys, and he had a couple of thousand, and God says, well, that's way too many. And God finally puts it down to 300 and God says, okay, this is something I can work with. Because you guys will have no doubt that you've got to trust me for this. They trusted God. God brings an incredible victory. That's the way the whole Old Testament went. Joshua defeats Jericho, which was a huge city. They go to Ai, which is this little piddly town. And they get whacked. Why? Because they were arrogant and they weren't trusting in God. They were trusting in themselves. All right. So that's the idea of rejoice. And I want you to understand as we hit in tonight, the thing that you rejoice in 
the thing that you glory in is the source of your strength and confidence on a day-by-day basis. And what I want you to hear about is what Paul rejoices in. So let's look. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, first of all. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And there it is. And we rejoice or we exult or we boast in hope of the glory of God. Now, I want to start with that phrase first and help you understand what it means. If I were a non-Christian standing here today and Jesus came, Okay, that's the glory of God. It's looking forward to the day when the glory of Jesus Christ is going to be revealed for the whole world to see. And so I'm walking down the streets of Newbury Park. The clouds part. I hear this trumpet sound. I see Jesus Christ coming. If I'm not a Christian, I'm not going to go, wow, this is great. I am going to be terrified. I am going to be exposed to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with whom I do not have a relationship. He has not saved me from my sins. He has not covered my sins. He is not giving me his righteousness. Now he's the judge. Now he's the judge. And as a non-Christian, I'm looking forward to standing before him and being judged for my sins. So any sane non-Christian should say, I am terrified as I think of the coming glory of God. But Paul says, no, we exult, we boast, we glory in hope of the glory of God. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, today I'm sitting in Philippi and I've just gotten beaten up and my hands are in chains and my feet are in chains, but man, I'm singing hymns. Because I'm looking forward to that day when Jesus is coming again. Because that's going to be the greatest day in the universe for me. And that future hope for Paul drove him forward every day. Okay, you with me on what he means by that phrase? Now let's talk about why he says that. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The first thing Paul wants to say is that our relationship with God has fundamentally changed. The word justified, I think you've all hung around churches enough. Maybe you don't know. But the word justified means to be declared righteous. It's a a legal term. Let me give you a simple illustration. Let's say I'm coming before a judge and unfortunately, I just killed somebody. I know, my bad. It wasn't a good idea. And so the judge is about to send me away for life without parole or maybe if I'm in a different state, even execution. And before he does that, somebody comes in and says, Your Honor, I know he committed that crime, but I'm willing to take his penalty. Now, that can't happen in this judicial system, but in God's judicial system, it can and has happened. Because when you and I stand before God in our own goodness, 
God is about to ring the gavel down and say, guilty as charged, you are confined to eternity apart from me. And Jesus comes in and he says, Father, I know Steve is worthy of eternal hell. By the way, any doubt about that? Do you think I'm worthy of hell? Okay, don't be so cocky about it. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You're worthy of hell too, right? All right. So we're all kind of in the same boat. So God's looking at you, and he's about to ring down the gavel, guilty as charged, and Jesus Christ says, hey, here's my offering. Here's my blood. See, when we sing Jesus paid it all, that's actually kind of a cool concept, that he paid the debt that you deserved because of your sin. And so now, listen to this. Because Jesus paid for your sins... Now, God brings the gavel down and he says, I declare you justified. What he means by that is I declare you innocent of all charges against you. Now, what's so cool, when God justified me, he forgave me for my past sins, but he also forgave me for all the sins that I'm going to commit in the future. They've already been washed clean. I've already been justified. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, you can't out-sin the grace of God. Where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Okay. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, catch this, we have peace with God. The war's over. You and I were declared to be enemies of God, right? In fact, Romans 5 says that. And what reconciliation means, the word reconciliation, is two warring or fighting or arguing parties have now resolved their differences and they have been reconciled. Now they're back together. And because of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Now, this is huge. I want you to understand why this world is so messed up. And the simple answer is people are at war with God. They don't know it. They don't believe it. But deep down inside, every person living today who doesn't know Jesus knows something's wrong. And what happens when you're at war with God? Guess what? You're going to be at war in your own heart. You're not going to know peace if you're at war with God. Why do you think one of the number one medications people are taking today is for anxiety? They're afraid. They know something's wrong. And so maybe a pill will help me have more peace. And what God is saying right now is I want you to understand something. You and I are now at peace. And there is nothing in this universe that will ever change that relationship for the rest of eternity. All right. Now, here's what I want you to catch. We have peace with God. Because of that, 
we can now experience the peace of God in our own lives. Okay, let's go to, would you turn to Philippians 4, 6, and 7? This is really important. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Literally, that could be translated, stop worrying about everything. That's what Paul's saying. Stop worrying. To which we say, thanks a lot for that advice, Paul. That's really easy just to stop worrying. You can't stop worrying, but you can replace that anxiety with something else. And so here's what he says. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what do you do instead of worrying? You come to God. You bring your specific request, but you always bring it with thanksgiving. By the way, you guys, if you are experiencing anxiety in your lives, I can guarantee you, and I I don't mean to be condemning, I can guarantee you that you're not being thankful enough. Because thanksgiving destroys anxiety. Let me say that again. Thanksgiving destroys anxiety. Why? Because thanksgiving is reminding yourself of the faithfulness of God in your life. And that's why when you're in an anxiety situation, Paul says, hey, I want you to get back to something maybe you forgot to do, and that's to be thanking God specifically for the things which he's done in your life. You guys, before we go on, let me just give you one little side note. This is why I'm such a gigantic fan of journaling of writing down what's going on in my life. You know, one thing I I write at least once a week is a Thanksgiving page. What are the things that God has done in my life to show himself faithful to me? And when times get tough, guess where I go in my journal? I go back and I review those Thanksgiving pages. Those are like my personal psalms. And I'll tell you something. I struggle with depression in my life. And one of the things that God uses to lift up my head, you know, to lift up my countenance are those Thanksgiving pages in the journal. Okay, let's go on. Paul promises this, that if you do this, if you decide, if you make the decision by faith to stop worrying and you bring your request to God with Thanksgiving, here's what he says, and the peace of God will guard That's a military term. It's like there are two guards standing in front of your heart. The peace of God. And they're standing guard over your heart. So the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension. In other words, you won't even be able to understand why you're feeling this peace. It's because the peace of God is guarding your heart. Now, I want to tell you something. In 2012, we were going through transitions in our life. It was a time of enormous uncertainty for me. Didn't know what I was going to do. I was feeling pretty deflated at that time. But I had learned about this for many years. So what did I do? I started journaling my thanksgivings to God. And I tell you, once you start, you just realize, oh my goodness, over the years of ministry that I've been in ministry... Over the years of my family, 
God has been so faithful. And after a while of doing that, I had the confidence to come to God and ask him for the things that were causing me anxiety. And guess what? Once again, God showed up. And throughout that whole time, I had an experience of peace that I couldn't even explain to you. So we have peace with God. Then internally in our hearts, we can begin to learn to experience the peace of God. Now, the next step is, when you're at peace with God and you're experiencing the peace of God, you can become a peacemaker, which is someone that Jesus loves very much. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are they the ones who will be called the children of God? I think they're the ones, aren't they? In other words, God will see be so proud of you when you're making peace with other people. He says, hey, that's my kid down there. He's a peacemaker. Now, Colossians 3.15, turn over there. Colossians 3.15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is really cool. It literally means to be an umpire in your heart. In other words, in your relationships with other people, and Colossians 3 is all about relationships, what should be refereeing and determining your responses with other people is the peace of Christ. And so you become a person who not doesn't stir up tr- trouble. You're a person who makes peace. Hey, guys, i got to tell you something. The Church of Jesus Christ in America desperately needs peacemakers. It starts when we're understanding our peace with God. It continues as we begin to experience peace of our peace in our hearts, the peace of God, and then it begins to flow out to the people. So, that's just the first thing. He says, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, catch this next thing. Through whom also we have been introduced into this grace in which we stand. This is so cool. You guys, because of what Jesus has done, every time you walk into the presence of God, guess where you're standing? You're standing in His grace. That means His favor. Now understand this. Every time you come into the presence of God, God is already disposed to grant your request. He's already tilted or he's ready to answer you. He wants to answer you. Getting God to answer your prayer is not trying to pull something out of him. It's not trying to manipulate something. You guys, I want you to picture something. When you walk into the into the presence of God and you're standing in, in his grace, I want you to hear God saying, hey, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Do you know in the Old Testament where it says he inclines his ear towards us? Do you know what that means? He's leaning forward. Hey, I'll, hey, angels, okay, quit worshiping me for a minute. I, I want to hear Now, I'm not saying God's like me and a little hard of hearing, okay? But what I am saying is that when you come into his presence, God is giving you his full attention. Why? 
because you're standing in grace. Now, let's say this last week I've been a bad boy. I haven't had one devotion the whole week. And let's say I watched Star Trek, evil movie, okay? And let's say, uh, you know, I was blowing it according to Matthew 5. I was looking at girls and I was going, wow, you know, so. And so I had a terrible week. And I come into the presence of God. Where am I standing? Everybody say that. Where am I standing? In his grace. Guys, if, if you hear this, please, this, there's nothing you can do to change your standing with God. Now, we can do things to distance ourselves from the experience of his grace. But we can't do anything to change his grace coming towards us. So Paul says, first of all, we have peace with God. Secondly, we're standing in his grace. And by the way, if you're taking notes now, write down Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Because the key scripture, you guys, it's, I come back to this monthly. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. little practical thing here. There's conviction and there's condemnation. Conviction is from whom? Okay, specifically from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction of sin, right? Condemnation comes from where? Our enemy, Satan. How can you tell the difference? Both of them feel bad, right? I hate being convicted by God. Actually, I love the outcome. But man, it doesn't necessarily feel very good. And so how can you tell the difference? Real simple. The condemnation of Satan always says, God's mad at you, stay away. The conviction of the Holy Spirit says, God loves you, come back. Do you remember the prodigal son, all of the things he had wrapping in his head when he was coming back to the father? Man, how, how can I sort of weave my way back into this household? Maybe I'll just try to be as... He was answering questions that the father wasn't asking. But when we're away from God, we start thinking things about God that aren't true. Oh, man, he's really mad at me. He doesn't want me coming into his presence. I need to do something to sort of atone for my sin. Well, let me tell you something. If that's what you're feeling, you're in big trouble because there's nothing you can do to atone for your sin. It's so funny. I, I love counseling with people. Some people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I say I feel so unworthy uh, to come into the presence of God. And I'll say, you are. And then they get real mad at me. What do you mean I'm unworthy? Well, I'm disagreeing with what you said. And I said, but so am I. So is every believer on the face of this earth. If, if we're trying to make ourselves worthy, we're in big trouble. The thing is, we think we're unworthy, but we're actually worthy because of what Jesus has done. We're standing in grace. Now, because of these two things, actually three things, because we've been justified, which has given us peace with God, which has allowed us to stand in the grace of God every time we come into the presence of God. 
Paul says, we boast, we glory, we exult in hope of the glory of God. You guys, the early church had a prayer. It's called Maranatha. You know what that church that prayer means? Something it's hard to translate, but something like, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. That was the prayer of the early church. And I kind of think it ought to be our prayer. Because when you focus on that event that's in the future, maybe not so far in the future, but somewhere in the future, it's going to give you confidence today. Now, let's move on. Paul goes on in the next verse, and he says, and not only this, and this is where it starts getting a little crazy. He says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, or we rejoice in our sufferings. But I I like the the, uh, translation that we glory in our tribulation. Now, you can kind of understand the first rejoicing, right? That makes a little sense. Hey, Jesus is coming. We're going to win. We're going to share his glory. I can understand this. But now Paul says, we actually boast. We glory. We get this confident little smirk when tribulation hits. Now, let me give you the overall perspective on this. As a Christian, because of what Christ has done, you can have confidence towards the future. As a Christian, Paul is saying, in between now and then, we're going to hit a lot of tribulation, right? We're going to have a lot of suffering. Paul says you can even have confidence in your tribulation. How can I do this? Paul says not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation or our suffering, knowing, first of all, that tribulation brings about perseverance. You got that one? The first step in this process is that you're going to develop this amazing thing called perseverance. What is perseverance? Perseverance is that inner strength, that spiritual strength that says, no matter what comes, I will never give up. I will never quit. I will keep moving forward towards Christ no matter what this world throws at me. Unfortunately, there's only one way you build perseverance or steadfastness or endurance or whatever you want to call it, and that's through tribulation. There's a reason I don't look like Brett. I don't work out very much. Okay, Brett's got muscle, I mean, you know, so jealous of that body, it's amazing. Wait till you see him at the beach day. You'll, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. How do you develop muscles? Well, if I, I just take my hands and go like this, I could probably do that 150 times, and not a whole lot is going to happen. I've got to put weight in those hands so that my muscles have to work as they're trying to lift that up, okay? So the, it's the pressure... And my fighting against the pressure that builds the strength. Does that make sense? It's exactly the same principles spiritually. If God made life easy, you would never develop perseverance. You would walk through life as this willy-nilly, wimpy Christian, and anytime anything hits, oh, what am I going to do? Which is how half of American Christians do anyway. 
Because rather than going through tribulation, they're always looking for ways around tribulation, right? When you go through tribulation, here's what Paul says. Tribulation brings about perseverance. Hey, you guys, I think the Rams are starting their spring training. Uh, schools will be starting this. I think everybody hates spring training. But everybody goes through it. Why? Because they know if they don't, they're not going to be ready when the season starts. Okay? We need to develop that same attitude towards tribulation. When something bad happens, don't say what's wrong. Okay? James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You guys, we need to get serious about this scripture. We need to actually start thanking God that he has honored us by bringing tribulation into our life. Now think of how that would change your approach. Let's say you're in the doctor's office and you get, the doctor says, man, I've got bad news. You've got cancer. What would happen? Been there, yes. What would happen if you said, oh God, thank you. Would that be crazy? The doctor would say, what are you talking about? And I said, you know what? I'm sorry, that was actually meant for God. But you know what? This trial is going to make me stronger. Now, think of how you would go through that experience of having cancer with that attitude instead of, oh, man, God, why did you let me have this? God, what have I done wrong? You know, this is terrible. What, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. Why did you desert me? Why have you abandoned me? People do that, right? Instead, if you go through, God, I can't believe that you considered me worthy to have this trial in my life, and I want to bring glory to you right in the middle of this trial. See, we think God gets glory only by healing people. Uh-uh. God gets glory by the suffering of his children. Okay? You guys, we need a whole attitude adjustment towards this tribulation stuff. Okay. That's only the first step. Paul says, tribulation produces endurance. Okay, that's good enough. I mean, if that's where all there was, that would be great. But the second step is even more exciting. He says, and perseverance produces proven character. This word proven character is amazing. Okay, I want you to put on your imaginations. In ancient Greece, when people were going to go on a ship and they were going to go on a trip, nobody wanted to go on a brand new boat. You would think, wait a minute, uh, I'd, I'd want a brand new boat, one that hasn't had any battering or anything like that. Give me a brand new boat. No, they didn't want a brand new boat. They wanted a boat that had the stamp, and they would actually stamp these ships with the word seaworthy. That's the word proven character. It's the same word in the Greek language. So when he says perseverance produces proven character, he's saying perseverance makes you seaworthy. How did a ship get the stamp of seaworthy? 
when it sailed through a storm and survived. On the other side of that storm, it got this cool little plaque, this ship is seaworthy. It can take what the storms throw at it, and it can get you there. Now, how does this work? You have tribulation. By the way, you, you had cancer. You've been there. And are you kind of on the other side? Still going through it? Or? No, they took 18 inches of my colon, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to have chemo, and all the lymph nodes that were lit up had no cancer when Now, let me ask you, do you feel more confident in God now than before you had con- And so now you're on the other side. You endured through the cancer, right? And now you have the stamp in your life of proven character. Yeah. You guys. It's so it's always his time, right? My time would be okay. Let's make this trial last two days, and then let's get on with life. Yes, it, yes, it is. See, and if I could speak for it, my guess is that your relationship with Jesus is so much sweeter and so much more intimate now than it was before. And you guys, would you guys hear this? Because this is so important. When you endure through a trial. Now, some of us weasel out, okay? Some of us just moan and complain and cry throughout the whole trial, and when we get through the trial, we haven't learned anything. We haven't learned anything about God. We haven't learned anything about ourselves. We haven't gotten any stronger, and we're going to go through the next trial, and we're going to be right in the same boat again. But when you endure, when you take the Job route, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, God, I belong to you. And you guys, I've never been there with the cancer. But I've been there with emotional things and physical things and spiritual things. A lot of battles. Got a lot of battle scars. You don't go into ministry and not get a lot of battle scars in your life. But guess what? I have more excitement about following Jesus today than I've ever had in my life. I have more intimacy with him than I've ever had in my life. I love him more. I'm actually more excited to wake up. And the, But there are some people who go through life and they keep growing more and more bitter and more and more cynical and more and more sad. See, you'll go one way or the other. There's no middle road. Okay. Tribulation brings about perseverance. The muscles builds. Perseverance produces proven character. Now, this is again why journaling is so important. Because if you journal, if you take your whole journey and write it down, and when were you doubting, and when did God come through, and when 
when were you at your low, and when did God meet you right at that moment? All of those little details, if you write those down, and then you say, I'm seaworthy. There isn't a storm that will come that together with God, I can't overcome. Perseverance brings about proven character. Proven character produces hope. And hope is this powerful force that will actually give you joy in the middle of your difficulty. And that's when things really get crazy for Christians. When you can actually have joy when everything is going down the toilet. Have you noticed, by the way, how trials don't come like one at a time? And, and trials aren't very good at scheduling themselves. Hey, I got a trial coming two weeks from now. Is that good for you? No, let's make it a month. No, trials don't work that way. Trials tend to come one right after the other, okay? You may have a relational thing and a physical thing hits and then a financial thing hits. I mean, it, it just it, it feels overwhelming. And what I want you to think about, I actually did work out a while, and I had a trainer. Uh, my trainer was the most evil man on the face of the earth. <laughs> you know, I, I would do my reps, and I'd go, oh, that was great. He says, oh, you're not done. He says, now do another set. Another 15? He says, yeah, you just did 15. So I'd do another 15. And my, now my, my muscles are burning. I'm exhausted. I, oh, I'm ready to quit for three years, you know. And, and he said... And I said, oh, that was great. I'm really glad you had me do it. He said, now give me five more. And I'm going, what are you talking about? I can't do five more. He says, yes, you can. And I actually do five more hating him. I mean, hate is driving me at this point. <laughs> but you see, what he explained to me is it's the last five that actually does the most to strengthen you. Write down 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You guys know the scripture. No temptation has taken you, but as such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able to bear. And you see, God is like my evil trainer. God is not evil, but he knows what you can take better than you know what you can take. And so a lot of people look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and they say, but, uh, no, God doesn't know how much I can handle because he's just given me more than I can handle. No, he's just like the trainer saying, give me five more. Okay? And what is going to develop as you move through these things is this fire of hope that burns in you. You know, I'm going through a trial right now, and it's, it's a little one, but... You know, our, our ministry in China, we, we've had some problems because the president of, the, of China is uh, renewing his anger against Christians, which, makes it, which means basically right now, unless something changes, we can't go back. And going to China has like been our joy. I mean, it's like our family. It's our love. I mean, you know what it's like in Cambodia. You love those kids, don't you? I mean, they're, they're your family. And so we're kind of being ripped away from our family just after three years of feeling like, ah, we finally found where God wants us to be. Well, now, guess what? 
everything's up in the air and we're having to trust God and say, where do you want us to go when we're waiting for him to reveal, okay? Now, I know that may seem like a little nothing trial to you. You're going, well, come on, see, you're a baby if that's a trial to you. But it's a trial to us. And, and we're longing to be used by God and we're just waiting for him to show us where he wants us to go. But even in there, what's been coming back to me, hey, this is not about me being comfortable. It's not about me getting life all ironed out so that all of the future is nice and clear. I actually think God doesn't want us comfortable. I know that might be a revelation to some of you. I think God kind of wants us antsy and up in the air and, oh, I didn't expect that one because he wants us trusting in him every moment, every day. And so Paul says, tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And here's the greatest thing, you guys. And hope will never disappoint. Now catch this. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Now let me explain what Paul is saying. There are two great indications of God's love in your life. One is that Jesus Christ died for you. And man, if that were the only thing God ever did to prove his love for you, I I hope that would be enough. But that isn't all God gave you. He also has poured out his Holy Spirit in you who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will give you the power you need for whatever life brings against you. And that's why, as I look at my life, I can say, I will never be disappointed when I put my hope in God. Ever. You guys, trusting God is never a bad bet. Even trusting him when it seems stupid to trust him from a circumstantial perspective. We're kind of running out of time right now, and I, I just I want to kind of draw this together because... I think this is a good unit of thought. What's changed in your life? You've been justified. You now have peace with God. And by the way, that's for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, you have peace with God. God used to be your enemy. Now you're on his team. Kind of like how cool it would have been. I don't know if you remember when Michael Jordan was playing basketball, but, you know, I think people hated to play against him. But how cool would it be if you were traded to the Chicago Bulls and now you're on Michael's team? And, and that's kind of what's happened. We were on Satan's team, and we had to play against the God of the universe. And when you play against the God of the universe, you're going to lose every time. And now we've been traded, and now we're on God's team. And now the King of kings and Lord of lords is working on your behalf. We have peace with God. We also now stand in grace so that every time you walk into the presence of God, he is leaning forward And he's saying to you, what can I do for you? 
what can I do for you? And by the way, little little tip, don't ask for small things. Ask for big things. Ask for things that only God can do for you. Then Paul says, our whole attitude towards the future has been changed. We don't look towards the future with fear. We look forward to the future with excitement. And I'll be honest, uh, it's not that I'm looking forward to the election. (laughs) I don't know what to say, but I'm not real excited about the election. Call me a nut, but that's where I'm at. All right. But I am excited about the coming of Jesus. Because I don't care if the wisest man were running for office or the, or the wisest woman or the most honest person. I'm still not going to put my trust in that person. Because you know what? This world is on a path that's called corruption. Corruption is what happens to my car, okay, as the years pass. You know how that cool car that was at the beginning... Now it's a little wobbly, and the brakes are kind of chattering as you put the brakes on, and, and your transmission is kind of groaning and clunking. Corruption is the process of the wheels falling off the wagon. And folks, understand this. The wheels of the wagon of this world are falling off. Do you feel that, by the way? I mean, it is, forgive me, but our world is going to hell. And I mean that Literally. And you know what? That doesn't impact my joy. Because my hope never was in this world. My hope is in the coming of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. We are, we are boasting about that. Hey, I'm going to be standing with God. Where are you going to be standing? He's going to share his glory with me. That's what Colossians 3, 4 says. Not only that... But when tribulation hits, we boast. This looks tough, but God is going to get me through this. This looks insurmountable. But if God is for us, who can be against us? This looks like there's no end in sight. But God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and the Holy Spirit is my power. We exalt in our tribulation because we know there's a purpose. Tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance brings about proven character. Proven character brings about hope. And we know that our hope will never disappoint us. Romans 5 is about the doctrine of justification. But for me, what Romans 5 is really about is confidence. And here's the takeaway with you and with me. The surveys all through the United States have indicated the same thing, that that people who go through sickness who have confidence, and, and this is kind of outside of Christianity right now, people who have confidence do much better with sickness than people who don't have confidence. Do you Have you seen those kind of? Okay. Self-confidence is a lie. 
And if I put my confidence in myself, there's going to become a time when, boy, the bottom is going to fall out and I'm going to be left with nothing. But confidence in who God is and what God has done will never, ever let you down. And here's what I'm saying. If you develop tomorrow morning a spirit of confidence that says, hey, God's got today in his hands. I just need to trust him. So I walk through today responding with that confidence of knowing God's up there saying, hey, I got it. Don't worry about it. And you do that the next day. And you develop a habit of confidence. Then when the tribulation hits, guess what your native response is going to be? Confidence. You're not going to go crying, why me? You're not going to go, what did I do wrong? You're not going to go trying to blame other people. You're not going to try to blame God. You're going to say, God, thank you for putting me right where you are. You're going to be like Paul sitting in prison singing hymns after he got beat up. Which is so cool. I have a Chinese friend who spent seven years in prison. You know what he did every morning? People would kind of gather out the prison window. He would stand up and hold himself up to the bars of the window and preach the gospel to them. That's what everybody does in China. That's why so many people are coming to Christ in China. That's why the president of China is so ticked off because he doesn't like the fact that right now there are over two times as many Christians as there are communists. Yeah. And guess what's going to happen when he tries to compress or contain Christianity? Man, he's just lighting a fire to the, to the wood. I mean, it's going to explode. I, that's one thing I'm really glad about Satan. Satan is really stupid. You'd think he'd learn. You'd think he'd learn that, that tribulation is going to just ignite Christians. And it's weird because he knows that in America. He kind of lets Christians be real comfortable in America. But everywhere else, it just seems like he likes to persecute Christians, and all he does is ignite them. And I want you to be ready because I honestly believe that persecution is coming to America. I believe that with all my heart. All the signs are there, folks. And, uh, I mean, it... And we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be ready to complain. We should be ready to stand up and say, Jesus, thank you for counting me worthy to suffer for your name's sake. Guys, that's when we're on the right track. So let me pray for you. And uh, let's just, uh, if, if you want one thing to do, memorize Romans 5, 1 through 5. Just commit it to memory. It'll change your life.